This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host, Matt Addison, with Paul Gorst and Theo Squires both with me as we take a look back at the emphatic Merseyside derby win for the Reds on Wednesday night and look ahead to the trip to Wolves on Saturday afternoon. There's only one place to start, though. That's at Goodison Park, where Liverpool put four past Everton away from home for the first time since 1982. Liverpool fans thoroughly enjoyed themselves in the away end, Gorsty, and it was a really comprehensive victory in the end for Jurgen Klopp's men. Yeah, it was. I mean, look, they went 1-0 up inside 10 minutes and it could have already been 3 or 4 by then. Uh, Matt obviously headed nearly one wide, didn't he? And then Salah was denied by Pickford and there was another chance in there somewhere, Salah again. Um, so, you know, everything that was kind of predicted from um, Liverpool optimists and Everton pessimists all kind of came true, didn't it? Aside from... A little five or ten minute spell towards the end of the first half and Damani Gray scores and Everton's blood's up and the fans are really on the side for the only period of the night, really. Liverpool were just totally comprehensive in the performance and um, it reminded me very much about something Jamie Carragher said in the summer months when Benitez took the job and I think it was basically along the lines of by the time that derby rolls around in December, Liverpool will go there and, and they'll put three or four past Everton and it'll be toxic and they'll all be calling for Benitez's head and it worked out almost to the letter really. Um, the scenes are full time where we were, where we sit in the Everton press box um, is apparently next to the director's box at Goodison Park. So Bill Kenwright was there, Marcel Brands, Denise Barrett-Baxendale, um, Farhad Mashiri, conspicuous by his absence, but every single one of them got slaughtered by Dozens, if not a hundred or so, Everton fans, you know, they were all calling for Benitez to be sacked. They were singing, sack the board. You know, no one was spared any kind of criticism at all from the Everton end. And um, that was probably music to Liverpool supporters' ears across the other side of the ground, but it really was, you know, toxic. And it just kind of highlighted the gulf between the two teams. I mean, last year was a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? You know, the first half came early on and, still behind closed doors and Liverpool were in the horrendous run in February when Everton won but um, you know when the two teams are playing you know in front of their own fans um, there's just a massive gulf between the two teams and there probably shouldn't be that much given the amount Everton have spent but um, they just need an absolute reboot from top to bottom by the looks of it Uh, and Liverpool are the undoubted um, dominant side of the city Um, so pretty much from a Liverpool perspective it was a the perfect night and um, the 3,000 fans that were sitting just across to my right looked like they uh, certainly enjoyed the evening. Yeah, absolutely. By the time Jordan Henderson had scored in the ninth minute of the game, Theo, Liverpool's XG was 0.9 from four shots. There's been four or five Everton games this season where in the entire 90 minutes they haven't built up that much. I mean, it was four in the end for Liverpool. Jordan Henderson obviously with the first of those, but it could have been a couple more really. Yeah, don't start with me with oh, yeah, XG. I don't want to talk about XG. I don't like that. It's not a proper stat. I don't like it at all. But for actual chances and goals and all that, it could have easily been a comfortable Liverpool victory and game done and dusted by, what, the 20th minute? Like We're talking about the two chances there for Matip and Salah. Pickford, I thought, actually had a reasonable game, made a couple of good saves. And it could have been 6-0 inside 20 minutes easily. But at the same time, 
I don't think Everton were that bad. They certainly weren't as bad as Manchester United in the 5-0, where Liverpool didn't have to be at their best. But Liverpool, the way they started that game, this is what you want to see from them at their best when they do just go for it, all guns blazing. And you can't stop them where they just tear teams to shreds, create chance after chance. And when you've got players like Mohamed Salah in form, you can't stop him, like running away from Seamus Coleman, running away from Dinia and just putting it in the corner. Uh, Liverpool... They did let Everton back in the game, but I think Klopp said it in the press conference before. Um, it's not really possible to play like they did in that first 20 minutes for a full 90-minute game. It takes that out of you. And that's why Liverpool, they're at their best when they start games like that. They get the lead and then they control the match and then they can just go again in the second half. Um, there was that little slip up with uh, Gray getting the goal back. And I suppose there was always that thought in heads there. It was like, oh, could this be a turn and point with the atmosphere and everything? And we've seen Liverpool concede leads against what AC Milan, against Brighton, uh, West Ham, we saw what they did there at London Stadium. But Liverpool have got a bit more confidence about them now. And they've got players back from injury. They've got players in uh, form and you just can't stop them. And while they might not take every single chance, if you can think about you're going to miss those easy chances that Matip had, that Salah had in the first two minutes, and you're still scoring four at Goodison, which has not really been a hub, happy hunting ground under Jurgen Klopp, just shows the position they're in at the moment. Um, you think on the night, Liverpool were first after Jordan Henderson's opener, and after that, they went second, third, third, I think, by the end, but they got second back at one point. Uh, it's going to come down to goal difference, isn't it? Like All the teams have finished where they started with a point separating Chelsea, City, and then City, Liverpool. But you just score as many goals as you can and get the wins. And that's what Liverpool are doing at the moment. They're looking not at their very best, but they're getting back to that standard that they set in 2019-20. The only difference is that year, they were grinding out victories. They were getting the odd two ones, the one nils, getting those late winners. Now it's just job done. You put three, four goals past the team and you sit off for the final half hour. You sub your players off. You rotate it around and think about your next one. It is just next level stuff. And the only strange thing about it is it's not one team they're having to contend with. It's two at the top of the table. And even they, any team can be as good as this. It still might not be enough to win the title. Uh, we're what? Festive period coming up, nearing the halfway point of the season. It's too close to call. Um, it's one where Liverpool can be in the best form they've ever been. You could say Mohamed Salah is the best he's ever been for Liverpool. They're better than they've ever been under Jurgen Klopp. And it still might not be enough to win the title. That's a pretty scary thought. Yeah, Liverpool, the first English top flight team to score more than once in 18 consecutive games. I think that pretty much sums it up at the moment. We'll come to a couple more of, of the forwards, Gorsty, in a second. But I wanted a, a quick word first on, on Jordan Henderson, who I thought was absolutely exceptional. I know Mohamed Salah was man of the match on television. But for me, Henderson, not just the, the goal and the assist, but I thought he was absolutely tremendous from start to finish. Yeah, he, he was he was superb. It was almost like there were two Hendersons out on the pitch. He was playing as a right winger and as a central midfielder. Um, seems to be a little bit kind of liberated a bit with Thiago and Fabinho behind them. Um, you know, we, we've been saying for how long now that that is the the strongest Liverpool midfield on paper. Has a little bit of a perfect blend of everything, doesn't it? You know, Fabinho with the um, defensive duties, snapping into tackles, mopping up, and Thiago just brilliant. You know, range of passing can pick out any player anywhere on the pitch and then Henderson's driving energy to get about the pitch and Liverpool at the moment finally getting an opportunity well after a year after Thiago signed to give them all a, a consistent run in the team and 
probably no coincidence that we've seen him dominate. You know, Arsenal um, didn't play against Porto, did the evil TR with it, but um, obviously the last three Premier League games, Southampton and the Mayside Derby on, on Wednesday nights. It's just, um, <clears throat> it, it, is, it really is just like a perfect blend for me and, and Henderson was absolutely exceptional. Um, getting on the score sheet, getting the assists, but as you say, Matt's just everywhere, wasn't he? Um, and I think he's, he's adapted well to, the, to that, that position on the right of the midfield three this season because it seems to be a little bit of a tweak from Liverpool in the summer in terms of bringing Trent in the right centre midfield but out wide, getting Salah as more of a number nine and, and that little triangle, three little trio of players seems to be combining loads for goals this season and I think that was the thing with, with having Elliot in the team, wasn't it? You look at the goal against Burnley, uh, Mane's goal, perfect example with Elliot playing it into Trent, who puts it through to Mane and he sticks it away. I think that's what Liverpool have been trying to do all season, really, and, and Henderson's adapted to that well, and um, he was absolutely sensational um, on Wednesday night, and let's, uh, let's hope it continues. Just jumping yeah. in on that little right-handed um, triangle, it's quite. I think it's been the case for all the players apart from Elliot. Like Elliot had pre-season to get used to this new setup, and it's a new role for him. But he's been used to being in a front three when he was on loan at Blackburn, so he, he thrived in it. But I think with Oxley Chamberlain, Cater, and now Henderson, they've all had two, three games where they've started it and they've looked shaky. They've not really taken to it well. But then you get two or three games out of them. And all of them have looked brilliant in it. They've all linked up amazingly with Salah, amazingly with uh, Trent. They're getting back and doing that defensive work, but still being this extra attacking body. And it shows the, how well, I suppose, Liverpool, given the, the limited time they're going to have on the training field in between games, can still get the players up to scratch and used to the system. Because when you are doing something new, when it has been tried and trusted for so many years, it will take time to adjust. And I think there were those concerns there when each of them went in and they took that little bit of time, I think something that's not just that's not right about Liverpool. Gary Neville has said it a couple of times, hasn't he? It doesn't feel right. But I don't think he can be saying that now because we give him a few games and it does click. Like Cater, before he got injured, was superb. You think against United, he tore them apart. Oxlade-Chamberlain, considering he's been out of the team for so long because of injuries, he's starting to look a good player again. It's just unfortunate for him. He's got so many solid midfield options ahead of him. And as we've been just saying about Henderson, he, he was incredible. For me, I agree, he would have been my man of the match. He, he was everywhere, getting his goal, getting his assist. And considering he had a delayed start to the campaign, coming back from the Euros and had that injury holding him back for the first half of 2021, well, uh, he's certainly finishing the year strongly and it's like the form of his life again at the moment. We know how crucial he was to Liverpool winning the league last year and this is why he's captain of Liverpool Football Club because he is that important and it's about time he got that recognition. And when he puts in performances like that, it does start to show. Yeah, it's the, the 11th goal as well from midfield so far this season, Gorse. The only 10 in the entirety of last season from midfield, obviously. Yeah. We know the reason why that is. Most of them were playing in defence for the entire season. But it does sort of sum it up, doesn't it? It's not just Salah scoring. It, it's Jota that we'll come to in a second. It's the midfielders. That's a huge, huge thing for a title charge. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, Salah's on 19 now. Um, Mane's on nine. Um, Jota's on nine. Firmino... Six or seven. So obviously they they're going to be the the big goal scorers Liverpool this season. But then if he can chip in with you know the likes of Van Dijk getting on the score sheets against Southampton and and the midfield, as you say, um, the amount of goals from there this season has been a a welcome plus point. I think when Liverpool won the league, I think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was the the fourth top scorer, and he obviously wasn't playing 
every week and I don't think he got double figures. So you're looking at it now and you're thinking the front four are going to be Liverpool's top four goal scorers. But then who's it going to be after that? You know, could it be Henderson? You know, Oxley Chamberlain if, if he plays a few more games. Uh, we've seen Thiago get on the score sheet this season, haven't we? So Liverpool at the moment just seem to have a little bit of everything. Um, Chelsea um, seem to be scoring got loads of goals with their full-backs and, and their centre-backs with set-pieces and so on. But while Liverpool might not get the same amount of goals in those type of areas, if you know the, the likes of the midfielders can keep plugging away, we've seen Cater against United, didn't we? And, um, if, if all those players can just carry on contributing in, in a goal-scoring sense, then you know some of those goals might be priceless at some point, mightn't they? So, yeah, uh, whenever you look across the Liverpool team since the international break, um, they just look like a completely new team from the one that was beaten at West Ham and the one that laboured in the second half against Brighton. So that I think that's coming at an absolute perfect time. And, and Klopp was saying today that that West Ham defeat was the one that made them kind of refocus and think um, that they just need to be on it every single week. Um, and at the moment, you know, you're looking at it, it's 12 goals in the last three Premier League games. It's 14 in total in the four games since the break, only the one conceded. Um Everywhere you look seems to be absolutely flourishing. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Averaging more than three goals per Premier League game this season, which at this stage is really incredible. And Mohamed Salah, we, we touched on him before, Theo. Another brace for him, another brilliant performance. 19 in 19 now this season. We used to talk about a striker getting 20 goals in a season as being a good season, but he's only one away from that. We're only at the start of December. Yeah, you've run out of uh, things to say about Mohamed Salah, don't you? It's just incredible. I remember uh, Michael Owen winning the Golden Boot with 18 goals in a season. I think there's been a couple of years, like maybe when Anelka won it, where they've struggled to reach 20. And I know he's not got it all in the Premier League just yet, but there's no doubts about him getting 20 in the Premier League. (laughs) He's just in incredible form. Um, Could he beat beat the the 44-goal mark that he got of his first season? Uh, we'll see if Liverpool go all the way in the Champions League, but it's definitely looking like it's going to be another 30 goal season at least, doesn't it? It'd be a big surprise if he went on a drought now. Um, and it's a bit different from as well because, like in the past, when he's had a couple of games where he's not been scoring, there's been a bit of fear or anxiety there, isn't there? That old Mohamed Salah's lost his touch, that Liverpool can't do it when he's not scoring goals. But even when he has those couple of games now where he's not scoring, he's still setting up goals. Like there's only, what, one or two games where he hasn't contributed to a goal at all. I think that was Burnley when he had the um, one chalked off by VAR and Atletico in the, the Champions League, the home game. I think might need to check those. I'm sure someone will pick it up in the comments or if I'm wrong. But yeah, he's just contributing so much. And then there isn't that concern about it as much because, you know, if he has a, not even an off day, just doesn't score, or Sadio Mane will score. Diogo Jota will score, Henderson, Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Thiago, all of them are just contributing, as we've just said. And it is wondering, how many can Salah score now? It's quite fitting we're having this conversation in the week the Ballon d'Or's come out and Messi's won it because he is reaching those Messi-Ronaldo standards as he reaches what should be the peak years of his career. Like you'd imagine he's going to have, what, another five, six years maybe at the elite level and the next three or four will be him at his very best. And it's how many trophies can win in that time, how many goals he can win at that time. Uh, it's going to be a huge ask for him to topple like Ian Rush or Roger Hunt at the top of the Liverpool's goal-scoring charts. 
but he's going to be very high up if he, especially if he signs a new contract with the club. He's a Liverpool legend. He's won it all, and you'd expect him to keep it up and win it, win it all again before his time comes. But defenses just can't stop him. Like whether it's uh, Henderson giving him this amazing through ball for him to run through one and one and pick out the top corner from a, a dodgy angle, or pouncing on a mistake from a defender, he can just score every type of goal. And for a player who's supposed to be just left footed. Uh, he's got a lot more to him and it's just incredible to see. It's exciting to see as well because he gets fans off the seats. You don't know what he's going to do next. And as soon as he's running through on goal, he could be 45 yards out. You're still expecting him to score. He's a match winner and he is crucial to the way that Liverpool play. He's taking his game to this next level and he's not dragging them along with him, but they're certainly doing their best to keep up with the standards he's setting. And it's not just the goals as well, Ghosty. Klopp was asked a little bit earlier on about the sort of selfishness that has been an accusation of him in the past, but the assists are there now as well in absolutely countless numbers. It's just a, a complete package from him. Though. Yeah, it is. And, and as Theo says, you, you run out of things to say about Salah. And, and I think we ran out of them years ago, actually, and we're just repeating the, the same things we were talking about when he first joined four years ago. Um he has added, added some assists to his game, hasn't he? And it's, um, I think sometimes what goes a little bit underrated is his technical ability on the ball. Sometimes it looks a bit scruffy and a little bit rough and ready, but some of these finishes uh, and passes are unbelievable, aren't they? You know, you look at the one against Watford for Mane, the, the assist outside of the foot, right across the, the back line of Watford. Mane doesn't even need to take a touch. He just sticks it away first time. There's been a few where he's done that outside of the foot pass. He almost got jotted in for a goal against Chelsea with her. And um, you look at his, his finishes on Wednesday, you know, the first one, brilliant, just, you know, opens his body up and puts it into the far corner. And then the second one where he's, he's ran 60, 70 yards, the length of the half. He's got Seamus Coleman nipping at his heels and probably tried to unbalance them as best as he could. And he still manages to just get enough on it just to tuck it past Pickford into the corner. You know, it's not an easy finish. Um and he's just um, he's just another level, isn't he? And I wasn't surprised that he's only finished seventh in the Ballon d'Or on Monday because I think a lot of that is weighted towards what you've done with your club over the past year, what you've done with your country. And Liverpool had a bit of an ordinary season, didn't he, last year for dozens of reasons that we've spoken about ad nauseum on this podcast. But um, he didn't win a trophy and, um, you know, Liverpool didn't do anything. But, you know, he was in this kind of form... 12 months from now, then there's no question that he's going to be getting a, a Ballon d'Or and wouldn't really bet against them, would you, at the moment? No, absolutely. Yeah. Another player I wanted to, to touch on, Theo, was Diogo Jota, obviously a brilliantly taken goal from him as well. We spoke before about sort of spreading the goals around. We also spoke about Salah being a complete package as a player. Jurgen Klopp dis- uh, described Diogo Jota as an incredible package in his press conference earlier today. And He's another one that's just sort of taken his game to another level, I think, this season. Yeah, I think it's a case of one of these players that you see has potential, you see he has talent, and then you put him in along with better players and he rises to that level. Like we saw it, I suppose, with Mane, with Salah, with Firmino in the first place. Like they had good seasons with Hoffenheim, Roma, uh, with Southampton, but there wasn't quite that consistency. And that comes when you're a bit of a younger player and it comes when you get more experience. But then you put them in this overall team where every player is on that level and you're not just the big fish in the small pond. And you do come up to this next level. 
And it's important to remember as well with Jota, he joined the club at a strange time. Like there wouldn't have been a full pre-season. The season was starting late because of the pandemic. Um, then he got his injury after starting well. He wasn't starting games every week when he was fit anyway. There was all that pressure on um, the team with the injuries at centre-back. Firmino wasn't scoring. Mane wasn't scoring. It was a strange time to become a Liverpool player. And he still scored a hell of a lot of goals for what was limited game time. But now he's had a year at the club to settle in. He's getting to know his teammates better on the pitch. Like before last year, we'd be saying he's scoring goals, but he's not linking up with the forwards alongside him the same way. He's not making the same runs and link sync with them. He's not dropping deep the same way as Firmino would. But now he's offering that more and more. He's got that chemistry with them and he's got that desire to get in the six-yard box and get on the end of everything. And you can just see he's hungry to score goals. I think it's only what Vardy and Salah have got more in the Premier League than him this season. Uh, this week has certainly done him no harm in climbing those rankings and leapfrogging Sadio Mane. But what, he's going to be huge for Liverpool in the months ahead. Look, we know the Cup of Nations is coming. We know Salah and Mane are going to be departing in January. Um, we don't know when Firmino is going to be back from injury, even if it's in time for the tournament. We don't know how fit he's going to be, how informed he's going to be. That's going to be a lot of pressure on Jota's shoulders. And I think a few months ago, you'd have been a bit uneasy about that because he was still finding his feet as a starting forward for Liverpool. Like he's shown he can do the glimpses, but now you've got no doubts about it. He is very much part of this famous front three. It's four, but it's a famous front three. You just can't choose who the three are at the moment. Um, and it'll be one where we could be having the podcast next week and we'll be praising Sadio Mane and he's outshone the other two. It's just that's how good they all are at the moment. They're all linking up. And it was a brilliant goal from him when he just got to the actual finish, the way he's turned. Might be a bit hit and hope at the near post, but you've still got to have the ability to pick your spot perfectly, to have that much power in it. And it's on his weaker foot as well to take the keeper's head off so he can't get anywhere near it. And we've seen him score goals from outside the box, or get on the end of things with his head. He's just got every finish in his locker. And he's this poacher. Now he's starting to show more sides to his game. And it's what you want to see. It's what you expect from forwards when they start to reach this new level. Like he's had his learning his trade period at Liverpool at Wolves, playing for what Atletico Porto. Now he's a player in his own right. And you think, well, he's taken over from these legacy players at Liverpool. And he'll be doing it at Portugal as well when Cristiano Ronaldo calls it a day. Um, Jurgen Klopp said in his press conference that he saw something in Jota early on. Knew, yeah, could be a player for us. Well, thank God he did. And he wasn't wrong, was he? Certainly does look like a player for Liverpool. And while well, Salah might be the one making the headlines now, um, Jota will be the one who lasts after him and he'll be the one making the headlines in a few years' time as that leading man if he carries on like this. It was a really nice finish to cap. A big win for Liverpool against Everton and a combined 9-1 scoreline in away games against the Blues and Manchester United this season. But of course, the shine would be taken off that if they don't follow it up with three points against Wolves Gorsty on Saturday. Klopp was asked about fixture congestion as well in his press conference, and we will come to our full team selector just in a few minutes' time. But surely the game to make changes is on Tuesday against Milan, and you've got to go pretty much same again, haven't you, for Saturday? Yeah, 100%. He, um, he suggested as much. He just said there wouldn't be six or seven changes for this one, and I don't think too many people expected that anyway. Wednesday to Saturday, not ideal, but at least it's not the dreaded 12.30 kick-off that seems to rile them so much. I think Tuesday, you know, I don't think it's going to be a case of Harvey Blair getting a game or anything on Tuesday, but it'll certainly be 
considerable changes. Um, we'll come on to that, I guess, in another pod. But yeah, I imagine it will be almost the same team. Um, there's no, there's no one, no one back imminent. Is there anything you said about Gomez and Kater? They're kind of back in training, aren't they? But you know, I wouldn't think they'd be in consideration for tomorrow. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's um, it's pretty much Liverpool's strongest team on paper, anyway, isn't it? You know. Can have that debate between Jotun and Firmino, but other than that, I don't think there's too many, too many debates to be had over the strength of the Liverpool best eleven. So um, if everyone's fit and ready, then yeah, you just got to crack on and, and go to Wolves. And, and th- this is the most difficult of the two games this week. Um, <clears throat> that might sound like a, a bit of a dig at Everton or whatever, but it isn't at all. I mean, Wolves are having a really good season under Bruno Large and, and Everton. Are, Really up against it under Rafa Benitez, so um, yeah, I expect them to just go strong again. Yeah, just before we touch a little bit on on Wolves specifically, Klopp was asked about the the goalkeeping department. I'll come back to you on that, Gorst. The obviously Claudio Taffarel has arrived this week, and Jurgen Klopp was quick to sort of clarify what that meant for for John Atterberg as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that and, and the situation they've got there now? Yeah, so, um, so Safarel is someone who they've, I think Klopp said today that they've been trying to bring it in for quite a while. And it was interesting how he said that they're almost trying to create their own goalkeeping philosophy. Um, and he mentioned about Liverpool spent £65 million on, on Alisson in the summer of 2018. And, and hopefully that doesn't have to happen again because they've got the top-class expertise of the goalkeepers at the club. And they, um, they know... <clears throat> who the rising stars of the game are to get them in early and, and kind of blood them through the, the, the first team ranks. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a massive wealth of experience to have on your side, isn't it? Claudio Taffarel, he's the first Brazil goalkeeper I remember and he won the World Cup in 1994 in the USA. And speaking to a couple of people around the club this week, they're kind of really excited to see what it's like to have a World Cup winner, you know, work, working with them. And obviously the, the goalkeeping departments are going to get it enough close look at that every day, aren't they? Um, I think he's still going to be working with the Brazil national team, so he's combining the duties. So I don't think he's going to be at the actual training centre five days a week or whatever, but it's almost just another expert on board, isn't it? John Akterberg signed a new contract, as you say. He's someone who keeps up with the very latest trends within the, the goalkeeping world. He's always looking at bringing young players through, and, and we've seen that in the last year or so, haven't we, with the amount of keepers who've, who've come through and um Obviously, Jack Robertson, who's been there for over three years now, working underneath Akterberg as his assistant, if you like. So, um, yeah, there's obviously a long-term plan there to, to do something. And Doug Klopp kind of pulling the curtain back today on the fact that you don't want to have to spend, you know, tens of millions of pounds on new goalkeepers every five or ten years. Um, you'd rather have them coming through when they're young. So uh, that's ideally what you want. At all levels, isn't it? But certainly seems to be a very concerted effort in the goalkeeping department. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll get back to, to Wolves, though, Theo. Some really good players, actually, in Bruno Large's team. Daniel Pedenza, I really like. Adama Traore, I'm less convinced on, but I know a lot of people do quite like him. Raul Jimenez back as well now, of course. As Kosti said, it, it almost feels like this is a much bigger test than Wednesday night. Um... Potentially, yeah, but that's because you've got the added narrative, don't you, around the derby and there was that pressure on Everton. 
But then Wolves, it's not a game where, even though it will be a challenge, you expect Liverpool to lose it. But they've got dangerous attacking players. If you've just gone through there, they've got the, um, that is it, Hiwachan, Hawang Hichan. I don't know how to pronounce that properly. I'm not going to do a good effort there. Um, the guy they've got on loan from Leipzig, who played alongside Minamino for Salzburg a couple of years ago, um, scored at Anfield as well, I think, in the 4-3, along with Haaland. And he's having a great season for them on loan from Leipzig. Um, I think he's been linked with Liverpool as a result of that. And it's just so many attacking players. Like you'd say, Wolves, they lost their way a little bit last year when they lost Jimenez to injury. This year, they seem to be dealing with injuries a bit better. Like There's a couple of forwards there who haven't had fit and Traore's not really in his best form, but they're still finding a way to get results. I think they've got a couple of nil-nil draws recently, which they won't be too happy about. They'll want to be finding their scoring boots again. And they'll have to if they want to get anything against Liverpool. Because as we've been saying throughout this podcast, um, Liverpool will score two, they'll score three, they'll score four. And then it's just how many you get to stop them winning. And very few teams can score enough to stop them winning. Uh, that's just the way it is. Teams can have off days, but you still think Liverpool got enough to beat this Wolves team. Um, it is a good front three, but Liverpool have got the best goalkeeper in the world, the best centre-back in the world, the best right-back in the world, the best left-back in the world. And that's without touching on the £36 million pounds. Um, France under 21s international who's barely got started yet or the free transfer that's won the Champions League and the Premier League and he's one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League despite the fact that he rarely stay fit for more than half a season um, some good players there in midfield as well with Wolves like we've not mentioned uh, Neves, Moutinho he's got a very good 11 on paper their issue in the past has been having that depth and it seems to be they're taking that step in the right direction but it's still not going to be enough to be a, a match for Liverpool you'd imagine uh, just hopefully I'm not biting my words off about this on Sunday, Monday. Yeah, no, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll come to uh, our score prediction shortly, but I think Theo's given away what he might go for a little bit there. But uh, before we do that, we will pick our teams for the game. Alison Becker will be in goal. Gorsty, does the back four stay as the back four or is there possibly an argument for Canate coming back in, possibly for, for Joel Matip? No, I, I don't think so. I think... Um... Matip doesn't need to play Tuesday, does he? And Van Dijk certainly doesn't. So I see no reason with, with playing both of those. And then they'll have, what, uh, a week's rest um, for Villa on the 11th. So, yeah, um, I'd, I'd be keeping... Do you know what? I'd be keeping the entire 11 the, the, the same um, to to, uh, to to spoil it for you. And I'm, I'm not making any changes. Unfortunately, we are going to have to go through it to fill out the podcast. But uh, Theo, hopefully you're going to make a change or two across the team. In defence, any for you or is it just same again? Um, it's a hard one because I'd approach the two games just that you've got your one eye on AC Milan and then you've got your eye on, one eye on this. It's almost like they did with those um, friendlies, didn't they, against Bilbao and Osasuna where you've got you split the ovens and you do one and then the other. Um I think Joe Gomez, it might be too soon for him to be back against AC Milan. It's like, well, do you throw Nat Phillips in at the San Siro when he's not started yet? Or are you keeping one of those three centre-backs in for that, along with the one who doesn't start this one? Uh, this is just a long way to get your minutes out and fill out your little snippet for your, your team selector, because I'm just going to go for Joel Matip and the rest of the back four. Um, but yeah, it's hard to really push for many changes when they are in form, when they are picking up these wins, and when they've actually got some quite nice spaces in between games at the moment. Like with it, Tuesday's game against Milan being a dead rubber for them, that doesn't really matter much on the turnaround. But they've still gone Wednesday, Saturday. It's a nice kickoff time. Having had a nice kickoff time on the weekend before, it has actually been 
quite a nice week for Liverpool to get those days on the training field and get the best out of their players. There were no new injuries reported. You wouldn't really see any need to put in Nico Williams or Costa Simicas because they just play at the San Siro. And I think if you're a young player and you've got, you're going to get 90 minutes, you'd rather play at the San Siro than Molyneux. No offence to Wolves. I know the game means more, but it's one of those stadiums you want to take in, isn't it? That might just be me being a football nerd. You want to play at San Siro. You want to go to the San Siro. Um, but yeah, back four picks itself. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he did throw Canate in and wanted to do Canate and Matip for uh, Milan. But I don't see any reason to change it when we've had Matip out recently. And Klopp made that reference in his press conference that they've made a lot of changes in the last few weeks. I don't need to now at the start of December. Uh, do you want me to just carry on or is Gorsty now going to tell us Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can make the case for oxlade Chamberlain, of course. Um, Milner come on for a bit, didn't he, on, on, um, on Wednesday night. But yeah, I just don't see any any reason to change it. Um, if everyone's come through the game with a clean bill of health, then um, I'd, I'd be keeping it as it is. My one on midfield would be, I'd be tempted to bring Milner in, but I'm not sure for who. And that's only because he's suspended against AC Milan. So you might want to have one of your senior options in there alongside what we'd assume would be Morton and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, I suppose it's which one of the three do you drop? Like it's very harsh to say Fabinho, have a night off. Endo, have a night off. Or Thiago, have a night off when they're playing so well. Um, I, I would like Thiago, to keep one Thiago of them back, has, Thiago has started the, the last four games, is it? Or the, the last five, possibly, I think. There is a bit of me that thinks he might take him out, but at the same time, he did come off after, what, 55, 60 You can make the argument for all of them, couldn't you? Because you could say yeah. if you wanted to give um, Fabinho a rest, you just put Henderson as the number six, and then you've got Milner and Thiago either side. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was that change, but you could make the argument for any one of the three to come out and be safe for AC Milan, with probably Milner coming in, and then you've got Oxide chamberlain Morton making it up in midweek. But... Uh, unhelpfully for our graphic makers here, I'm not telling you which one because I, I don't know who it would be. It'd be. It could be any of the three, but it could just be the first choice three, as Gorsty has uh, alluded to. But th- this is the value of having the, that Champions League group one as, as comfortably as it was because now Liverpool, <clears throat> in a month where they've got uh, nine games, they can essentially write off that, not, not so much write off the Milan game, but you know they don't have to be going there with Salah, Mane, Jota in desperate need of, of the points, do they? They can take the foot off the gas and get as rested as they can for Aston Villa on, on Saturday and then and then go from there. And um, I think we'll see the same with that Leicester game just before Christmas as well in the Carabao Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it just shows you, you know, it is the reason you want to get your Champions League group done and dusted as early as possible in Liverpool. Haven't always had that in December, which has made it a little bit more trickier than it should be because, you know, it's always a busy month, isn't it? Busiest month of the of the year, of the season. Yeah, Theo, I'll come back to you for the attack. It's almost certainly going to be Salah, Jota, and Mane again, isn't it? But I suppose, I suppose for, for Diogo Jota, at least, it'd be quite nice to, to go back to his his former club in form, get a couple of goals. I'm sure Salah will want to, to start as well. There's not really much need to to change it there either. No, there isn't. Um, I was Jota benched as well for his was it his first game against Wolves last year, so it will definitely want to get a couple against them. Um, I think Manry's telling me Origi's actually got quite a good record against Wolves. I know we talk about him always scoring against Everton, but I believe his record against Wolves is pretty decent as well. Um, but then you just don't see any need to change the front three. 
like you know, Origi and Minamino are going to be starting against AC Milan because that's the chance for him. It's that platform for them, and you know they're going to get minutes in the League Cup, in the FA Cup, and when Salah and Mane depart. So just use Salah and Mane while you can. Jota's in form, and then it's well, do you keep one of them back for um, game in midweek? You'd imagine Salah wants to start every game and just score every game, but you'd protect Mane, you'd protect Jota. So they're starting this and you're not going to take Salah out of a, a Premier League game to keep him for a Champions League dead rubber. So yeah, the first choice well, available front three is very much the three that are going to be starting this. And you'd be surprised if at least one of them um, wasn't on the score sheet tomorrow. Let's finish with match predictions then. I think I'm going to go for a fairly safe 2-0 win. I think Liverpool will score two again and probably keep it a clean sheet as well. Gorsty, what do you think it might be? Yeah, they're normally tough games at Molyneux, aren't they? Um, I think Liverpool have won by one goal, is it, in the last two or three times they've been there? Certainly last season was hard fought 1-0, got Liverpool back on the road to that top three finish. Um, Jota, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Liverpool in free scoring form, but I think it will be tough. Um, 2-1. Theo, come across to you. What do you think it might be? I think you went for three or four goals, didn't you, earlier in the podcast, so it could be a, a big one. Yeah, I'm sticking with that. Uh, they seem to do it every game at the moment, um, so I'll say 3-0. Uh, they're in form, they're all scoring goals. No reason to think that will change against Wolves. Um, no disrespect to them, but Liverpool are just in another league at the moment. Yeah, two goals in five games it is, by the way, for Divock Origi against Wolves. So not the worst record in the world. But that will do us then. We've made our team, team selections and our match predictions as well. And I think that just about brings us to the end. Thanks to Paul and to Theo for joining me and for you at home as well for doing so. We'll have all of the coverage, of course, of the Wolves game across the Echo.com and Blood Red. And we'll be back on Monday for a review of the match and a look ahead to AC Milan in the Champions League. Until then, though, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.